Hello and welcome to Core Women. My name is Dr. Summer Watson and I'm the founder of Core Women and I'm also an empowerment strategist for women. So if you're listening to this podcast to delve more into empowerment strategies, well, you're here for the right reason. However, Core Women was also developed because it's a special place that provides a unique idea of home for the hearts and souls of women. It's a place for us to share our strength, energy, wisdom, and authenticity. It's a place for women to find support and strategic empowerment ideas that will help support their lives. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Celia Daniels. Celia is a trans woman of color who is an entrepreneur, composer, musician, photographer, and a filmmaker. She currently resides in Southern California with her family as a transgender parent and gender non-conforming activist. She volunteers for many nonprofit organizations, churches, institutions, and LGBTQ plus organizations across Southern California. Let's get right into this conversation because we have so much to talk about today, Celia, and welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I'm so happy you're here with me. So we're going to start out with like one of the most basic questions, but I want people to know in your own words, can you explain what transgender is for our listening audience? Because I want people to be very clear. Yeah, absolutely. So um, according to the biological terms, we have the cisgender and then we have transgender. So cisgender is someone who identifies in the gender they were born. It's, uh, for instance, if a person is born male, they identify as male, and that is cisgender. A person who is who identifies as a transgender is a person who doesn't identify in the gender that they're born, and that's how they're called as a transgender. For instance, I'm a male. I was born male, but I don't identify as completely male because I identify as both male and a lot more female inside of me, and so I believe that a lot of them, in our uh, transgender community, they are within a spectrum of, they don't identify the gender they are born, but they identify in addition to the gender they are born or they don't identify as a male at all. And that's how they call as a transgender. Gotcha, okay. Well, thank you for that explanation because I think that it's really important for people who just are unaware or don't really have a good idea of what mm. transgender is that, you describe it, you understand, you fully understand, but from your perspective and a scientific perspective, what it is. And I think it's really important for people to know. So let's just get into at this point, because I do want you to talk about your background and Mm -hmm. your upbringing and your journey. So let's get into that. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born and raised in India. And when I was four years old, I realized that I was different. I had no idea what was going on within me, but I knew that my gender wasn't doing justice to my anatomy. And I started expressing as a little girl. I started dressing up and I told my mom that I wanted to be a girl. My mom realized that uh, for my son to grow up in a colonial British uh, society that was uh, laid out by the British government, they knew that um, it's completely a binary world in which we live in. My mom said, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't think you should be identifying or dressing as a girl anymore because this is not what you should do. You're a boy. And I began to realize that when I was seven years old, my mom um, was telling me not to do what I was, you know, not to express as a little girl. 
it was actually interesting for me, but I didn't know that it was wrong to express as a girl, you know, while you're born as a boy. And that's how my whole journey started. And I started growing up and I didn't know um, where I belong in the gender spectrum because I liked being a boy, maybe a little bit, but I loved being a girl. It was so different. Um, I was um, hoping that, you know, I would become a girl. <laughs> and I was going through a lot of gender dysphoria, which I didn't uh, realize at that point. But later in my life, I knew that gender dysphoria was something totally different. And um, most of the times I became sad and depressed because I was not able to express in the gender that I was born. Um, sorry, uh, it was, I wasn't able to express in the gender that I wanted to be. And I was a boy, so it was causing a lot more confusion. And I was always sad. I was trying to, I was very suicidal in certain thoughts. And growing up in a Christian home, it was really difficult to also believe that you are fundamentally wrong. The fragment of your being is wrong because what you're doing is sinful. So that kind of, that's the way I grew up uh, as a little child. And the whole time I was always thinking that if I'm growing up to be a person that I cannot be, then am I made differently? Am I made this way? Is there something wrong with me? And am I the only person in the world who is going through this? So it was a big question. Even in my elementary school, I was trying hard to be a boy in a sense that I would do everything that the boys do, but I would do a little more extra. I did all kind of macho things as a little child to prove that I was not being a girl. And I tried my best to not express as a girl because I was worried about what people would think. I was worried about getting bullied. I was worried about getting beaten up. And uh, also my parents, I was worried to even tell them a little bit about what was going on because according to the principles and the Christian community that I was born in, in India, I was not being accepted. And I looked around me and I saw a lot more Hijra community and I couldn't identify myself with the Hijra community because it was very different. And I thought, I definitely don't want to be this way. I want to be different. That's how my life started in India. Right. And, I, and it was a long journey from then on. And I, I can keep going on and on, but I know you have a lot more questions in, in this space, which I'd love to answer. Well, I love that you're sharing your youthful journey with us. And yes, I want you to be able to share when you kind of did that pivot, when you were able to disclose and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, this is who I am. This is how I feel. And to go on in your journey and tell us that about your, your marriage, your children, and how that developed and your professional life and how this is integrated into your professional life. So yes, please go on. Yeah, absolutely. So I was, um, while I was growing up and especially when I went to high school, I, I was always in the closet. I never told my parents that I'm different. And though I, I wanted to talk to them, I didn't think that they would understand because I knew that they would just tell me that I'm wrong and I should not be doing what I'm doing. I cannot be wearing women's clothes. That is period. You know, that's, that's the way I thought maybe I cannot talk to my parents and I did not want to talk to them. And growing up in a very middle-class 
community back in India, it was really hard for me because we were dealing with a lot more other issues in India, uh, especially with the family. My dad was a Hindu and he became a Christian. So we were going through a lot more other issues in our family um, and living in a single bedroom home all through my life. You know, we were constantly battling with our own social issues and our own re- and family things that were going on. And I did not want to bring up my issue to my parents at that point. And I really felt and I really thought this would go away. And I really believed, maybe I, I prayed a lot and I was working really, really hard, uh, trying to be as much as possible to be a boy so that this would go away. And it never went away. I went to college, it was there always with me. And I was struggling there, I had girlfriends and I was trying to um, prove to people that I'm different and I, I'm, I'm like you, you know, I'm, I'm not someone who is a sissy boy. And I'm not gay because I wasn't attracted to men. I was still attracted to women. And that's the confusing part because I didn't know why, why am I attracted to girls? And I really wanted to be a girl. Right. <laughs> it was very, very fascinating. So I got married and I really, really hoped when, uh, when I was 28 years old, I, I told my fiance at the point that, Hey, um, I, I, I don't know. There's something going on in my life. I want to talk to you about and she said, oh, if this in your past, you know, just forget it. We are moving into a new life. And this is our life together. And I believe I came home after that conversation. And I believed truly in my heart that this thing will go away. I didn't want to be a girl. You know, it was really hard. It was very hard. And I thought it will go away. And I got into our marriage. And we were so happy for a year. I moved to this country in the late 90s, and I was hoping that this feeling of being a girl would go away. But unfortunately, it never went away. Um, One year after our marriage, it was right there. And I was struggling with it, and I was thinking, what do I do? Oh, my God, it's come back. And I, um, you know, and then I had a daughter after three years, and I was wondering what is going to happen to me and I am here struggling within my own gender. And I was a professional at that point. I was working for a large Fortune 500 company. And I was a business professional. I was developing business. And I was um, working with a lot more executives and traveling and flying. And I did all kinds of business presentations. And I was so happy in my professional life. My personal life sucked. (laughs) It was really bad. I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, I didn't know whom to talk to because I was, how do I even tell people that, you know, I'm such a business professional and I have a personal problem and I want to be a girl. I couldn't tell anyone. This was early 2000. And one night I decided to tell my wife and I told her, sweetheart, I'm going through a problem and I don't know what to do. And she said, oh my God, we have a child and I don't know what's going on with you. Maybe this is fetish, you know, it'll go away. So I spoke to a therapist and the therapist, after two hours of a long conversation, this person was gay uh, therapist and he said, hey, you know what? I think you are gay and you are feminine gay. And at this point, I thought, maybe this is the wrong kind of conversation. I'm really not gay. And I explained to him why, but he never got it. Mm. And I, I, then I realized that, you know what? I'm just going to take it to my grave. I will take it to my grave. Professionally, I'm doing well. I have a great life. I have a great family. And I'm very good in doing in my career. 
Um, and if I'm not going to expose who I am because I don't want my colleagues to know about me, I don't want anything else coming out of my personal life into my professional life. So I'm just going to hide it and keep it in the closet. But it was really, really hard. So when I used to go on business trips, I used to change into my into a dress and um, you know sit and work as Celia. And I, that was my relief of um, the gender dysphoria, which I understand now. But at that point, I was struggling so much that I didn't know why I was. Um, and I, I also found out you know that that's something that um, it was so deep inside. It was so personal. It was so shameful. You know, a lot of those emotions were um, draining the heck out of me. And I was um, so sad. I was so upset. And outside, I was so humorous and I was funny. And I was, I changed my mind. I was, I mean, I used to play music and I kept my mind distracted. But when I was all alone, I felt so lonely. I couldn't talk to anybody about myself. That's the way my life was. Wow. Okay. So let me ask you, did you ever find anybody to talk to that understood you? I did. Um, I found um, on the internet, what we did was uh, in late nineties, I started a group where I came out with my story and I said, you know, this is who I am. And this was in Yahoo at the point. Okay. So I, I made a Yahoo group and I said, Hey, um, my friend and I, uh, I met her on the internet and she was a professional like me um, and she was an entrepreneur as well. So we both started this group and I, I found out through connections that almost more than a thousand people joined this group in India and we were all having the same problem. You know, all of us were professionals. We were having our own families. We had children, we had in-laws staying with us, but at the same time uh, we had problems. We didn't know how to tell each other. We couldn't tell our wives. We couldn't tell our parents. So we started this group, and then we exchanged um, lots of our our ideas and what's going on in our lives, and even fun stuff like makeup tips, what kind of clothes you want to wear, you know, what says bra you want to buy. It was so funny, but at the same time, we were all going through the same uh, shame. And I would, at that point, it was more of a shame for us, and we didn't want to tell anyone. So it was a very private and uh, secluded group, and I found that kind of a solace. And uh, late in 2000, what I did was I also contacted Trias. Trias was a, a group that was meant for crossdresses, heterosexual crossdresses, and also it was, um, and the spouses were also a part of it. Now, the interesting part was um, I, I did not identify as a crossdresser, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm not just a crossdresser. It's not it's not dressing anymore. It's it's beyond that for me. And I really don't identify with this group because I'm dealing with something which is really, really deep than just dressing up as a girl. And I want to understand why and what is going on. So that is how I started um, interacting and I started reading a lot of material. And, um, you know, all through my career, when I was living in different parts of this country, um, developing business and moving um, as a moving on and relocating as a business professional, I always attached myself with a local uh, trans. Com it was more of a crossdressers community at that point. Right. Yeah, even identified as a crossdresser or a transsexual. And uh, transsexuals are folks who have done a surgery, right? And they are living their life as a you know as a post-op woman. And I did not identify with that. 
and neither identified as a cross-dresser. So I thought, I don't fit into this group. What is going on with me? I thought I, I, I came out and it's not working out. So that's how I got stuck between these pillar and post and I started doing my own research. Okay. Which, and uh, yeah, I, I'll probably wait for your next question. But well, I do want to do want to break in here because when you started this journey and, and you started realizing you were transgender and yet it wasn't just about the clothes. It wasn't just about dressing as a woman. It goes so much deeper. So you then did your research, you started your own group, you found support, you found some people to communicate with, you found some strength, and you were gaining the confidence. Now, my question is, through all that, do you still find that potentially there is discrimination against you within certain communities in being a transgender? Uh, And I'm not just saying the quote-unquote straight community, however, mm-hmm. it, within your own transgender community, because maybe you're, you're not getting the surgery, you're not gay. So how do you deal with that? That was a, that was a pivot uh, moment in my life. Um, I, as I was mentioning earlier, I thought I would just take it to my grave, right? And I was very happy with, just with a cup, you know, just hanging out with my, uh, the trans group or the trans friends. And at this time, I was, um, I got abused in a bar, um, you know, and people always looked down upon transgender community. And they always looked down upon me asking, you know, are you a prostitute? Um, and I thought, I'm, I'm such a reputed person and I'm a, such a respectable person in my community. Why are people treating me like a prostitute? And I'm not that way. And they were just looking down upon me because I was transgender, not because I was different, not not because I was looking for sex. But the point is, the transgender community have been so marginalized that they were always looked down upon. So at some point in my life, I was at one point, I, I believe that I was abused by, um, and I was in a bar, and I was abused by one, one transgender person. And I was so sad, and 2.30 in the morning, I was crying, and I said, you know what, I'm going to, this is not the life that I chose. I really need to either make a decision to really take my life seriously because I don't want to die just as a person like this. And I started doing more research. I started talking to people, talking to doctors and scientists and the scientific community. And I, I, work, uh, I worked on human genome projects back in India. And I, I'm a I worked on crystallography projects and I worked on, you know, lots of other areas in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm working for a pharmaceutical company here. And I'm thinking to myself that it's not my XY chromosomes, but that is something, 23 pair of chromosomes, there is something in my life. When 7.5 billion people in the world are different, I'm different as well. I don't know. I maybe not, I don't fit into every category, but I'm different. So I started coming out, I started doing more research, I started talking to people, uh, reading articles from, in, from Stanford, MIT, from Harvard, from John Hopkins. And I found that lots of these researches have been done about the trans community, but people don't want to come out and tell your story because you're always marginalized. And always they segmented, you know. And I found that um, even within the trans community, I was segmented. For instance, when I came out and I said, um, my friends were telling me, 
see here, so now that you're coming out, it's good. You have to change your sex. And I said, no, I'm not going to change my sex because I don't see a need for it. Um, even if I change my sex, I'll probably do what I'm doing today. And I have a family, I have a wife and a child. And um, I'm, I have a profession and I want to be doing the same thing today. Um, but the community was always trying to even segment my, me within their own boundaries. Right. And that's where I found that um, I, I was actually a gender non-confirming in, in a sense that I am probably, and I am gender fluid. That's when I knew that I was, I liked being a man because I had my wife and my family, my daughter, and I always loved to be a dad. And I, I love that part of it. I don't want to be a mom. I'm a dad and I'm, I'm a husband to my wife. I can't change that. And at the same time, I also realized that I have this feminine femininity in me, which is, um, which I need to express. And I started expressing my femininity and I found that whatever shame that I considered as shame, my femininity, uh, sorry, my femininity that I believed was shame was actually empowering me so much. And I didn't know there was so much of power in that shame. And that changed me. When I started telling my story to people, the first time I told my story was in a, in a church and I opened up and I told them my story and people were just asking questions and I didn't even have the answers. All I told them was, I am out and I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to find out. And this is who I am and this is how I'm going to live my life. And I started my journey from 2011. And from then on, I've started coming out and telling my story. And even within the transgender community, even within the LGBTQ community, they were not very familiar with the gender non-confirming. Mm -hmm. And now that has changed. Um, after Caitlyn Jenner came out, and you, you see a lot of children have come out and parents have started understanding um, these questions. And the questions that were a taboo have not come to the government level. And people who had all these issues started speaking more openly about it started talking about discrimination in the society, at the workplace, in the community, even within the families, um, even at every level. You know, they started talking about it. They said, hey, uh, I'm coming out. It's not that all the transgender community just came out in the past um, five, uh, past decade, but they've always been out. Since the dawn of time, they've always been out. It's just that the society was always neglecting them and they were not given importance. And now with the younger generation, I think a lot of change is coming um, for, and the visibility is coming to the transgender and the gender non-confirming community. Gotcha. Well, I love that, you know, you've talked about your journey. Now, I want to go back because you are married, you do have children, you are a professional. How does being a transgender non-conforming, how is that accepted by your family? How did they start the journey with you of understanding what you're going through? Absolutely. So I, um, I came out to my daughter when she was 15 years old. And uh, she found out, actually, she found out, she saw some pictures of me and she said, in a very funny way, Dad, why are you dressed up in a sari? <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, oh, what do you mean? Dad is wearing a suit right now. I'm actually going out. And she said, no, no, I saw a picture of you on the computer. Are you wearing a sari? And I was like, okay, oh, she found out. So I told her, sweetheart, I'm going to tell you about my life. And I just told her everything right from my four-year-old journey to, uh, to this day. I told her everything. And she said, dad, I'm, I, I'm so proud of you. And um, I, I, I don't have a problem with it. I'm cool with it. 
that's exactly what she said. Oh, she's cool. Okay. Really great. Are you, um, see, I'm going to be a dad. It's not going to change. I'm going to be a husband to your mom. Not going to change. But this is who I am, sweetheart. My life is different. I am wired differently. And I have to learn to manage this, navigate through this within our family. I don't want our family to fall apart. And that's exactly what I told my wife. I know you love me. I know it's hard for you to see me as a woman. But if there are some spaces where we can come to a compromise, if you feel that, you know, you are very uncomfortable, I will make some sacrifices. You have to make some sacrifices. But we will come to a compromise and start living together. And I will always be your husband. It's not going to change. So there are times in my life that I don't express as a woman in the house. My wife wants a husband. She wants a man in the house. I'm willing to sacrifice that part of me, which is probably like 10% or 20% of my life. I live as a man. Um, and and even in my workplace, it was interesting. Um, so my wife, anyway, she's accepted me and she found out a lot more about people like me and people who are struggling. And it's the only thing is they're always concerned about what the society is going to say. Right. And you are, and um, even in my workplace, when I came out, uh, the first question that I was asked is, so are you going to wear a sari dress tomorrow when you come to work? Because you said you're gender non-conforming. Are you going to change your sex? Are you going to, so what are you going to do? Then I said, I'm not going to do anything that you're asking me to do. This is not going to work that way. I'm going to be a professional. It doesn't matter how I look. I will be um, a man today and I will be a woman tomorrow. I might again be a man to, today, uh, the next day. And that's the way my gender fluidity works. It is not about my gender. It's not about my identity, but it is about what I do. It's more important to you. As a company, you're more concerned about productivity. You're concerned about being innovative, creative. And that's what I am. I'm a professional with 25 years of experience in healthcare and life sciences. And that's not going to change. And I manage millions of dollars. And just because I look different, why should that undermine my capability as a professional in the industry. And I asked these questions and they said, um, you know, see, I get it. Um, I know you mentioned about it. So how can we change our HR policies based on this? And that's why I went to the policy level. I sat with them and I started, um, first thing I addressed was bathroom issues, security issues. My badge would look different, you know, because um, companies are willing to help um, transgender folks who have transitioned. They are okay if you're a male to female completely. They're okay if you're a female to male completely. But when you come out as a gender non-binary, it becomes difficult for them to even define any policies, security badges. You know, there's lots of things that's going on. And 27% of the transgender community um, are coming out as gender non-binary, especially the younger generation. So in my um, conversations with the companies that I always tell them that, Watch out for this younger generation that's coming out. They are going to completely disrupt the way your HR policies are defined. They are going to disrupt your diversity and inclusion ideas that you have. Right. And it's going, to, it's going to be a good disruption um, and a wider acceptance in terms of DNI, not just looking at transgender community and segregating them into male and female, male and female trans, but also there's a whole spectrum of people who are coming out. Look at that beauty, look at that creativity and incorporate that into your company changes and policies. The company will thrive. You know? 
Right. Now, my question to you, because I think you would be great within this movement of really helping companies understand how they're defining transgender and transgender non-binary. So I think it's going to be really important for them to have not just a grasp on what that is and what that means, but more so on how do they function? How does a company function with, like you said, their badges, their security issues? What would you suggest to help support a company in this transitional time with transgender Mm -hmm. folks? Because Seriously, I I can understand there being some difficulty. Of course, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of changes which are very traditional. The companies have always operated in a traditional way. Like now, it's with all the um, the crisis that's happening with um, COVID nineteen. Uh, you know, companies are going virtual now. Right. Um, this is actually a great opportunity for trans community because a lot of them are intimidated, even in a team meeting. Suppose, let's say, uh, given an instance, if I go to a meeting in a dress and I'm managing my team, they're going to look at me differently because the companies are trying to derive their policies from top to bottom. And it's coming from the senior management that, hey, uh, we are opening these initiatives. We are going to train you. We're going to coach you. And this is how it is done. It comes from the senior level. And every CEO has an agenda, making sure that, you know, the uh, gender non-conforming or trans folks are being accepted. But the problem that I see is from the bottoms up approach, where the line managers, the, the teammates, they are still not accepted. And the acceptance comes from the heart, not from the letterhead of the company. Right. If that doesn't happen, the approach has to be both ways. And I see a lot of companies doing from top down, which is great. But when it it comes from bottoms up, what happens is um, when I sit in my meetings and I tell them that, hey, I'm, you know, I just want to have coffee, you know, this is a happy hour. And I just want to be treated like a normal person. You know, though I look different, it doesn't mean that, you know, you have to worry about me. These are my pronouns. Otherwise, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I love music. I love uh, watching, you know, you know, all the fun shows on TV. And you know, that's the way my life is. I don't want to be talking about me, but I just want to move on with my life and be a part of a productive company. Now, that change has to come. Right. I think that's where I think the companies are still dabbling with that. Even in the company that I spoke to, I had a panel and I spoke to the senior management. Um, while I was coming out, they were so shocked because they have seen me as in my male side, they took my profile and looked at it and they said, wow, we didn't know you were this person. Right. And I said, yeah, this is me, but don't worry. I might sometimes, you know, but I, I just express in the agenda that I'm comfortable with and that's not going to undermine the creativity or the innovation or the productivity of the company. So this is the way I am. I just want you to accept me. And they were like super accepting. That is but awesome. the problem. Yeah, the, the only thing that I mentioned is, you know, Celia, we are still not set up for gender non-binary. We are working on it. Can you give us some recommendations? So I started working with companies like Trans Can Work, HRC, um, and a lot more other companies. And I started pulling together information that would really help them in defining those policies. For instance, I went to Costco one day as Daniel. Uh, that's my, Daniels is my last name. Uh, my real name as well. I went to Costco and I said, hey, um, I sometimes um, come as Celia. Is there a way I can get another ID? They said, no, we don't have that in our policy. 
Then I said, I'm a gender non-binary. You know, I don't want you to destroy my male identity and give me a female card. I want both my cards. Is it possible for you to do that? Because you give for spouses, you give for children. Can you give for me? And the manager said, we have never done this before, but I can do it for you. So he gave me a card, two cards. So that's the way we bring in change. We bring in changes by um, understanding, which is within the norms of the company, would not just completely disrupting everything, but also making sure that you know, it works within the confines of their policies and the HR and the security, and um, also making sure that they are accommodating people's requests. Um, like a person is having you know, long hair, dreadlocks, or hijab, uh, wearing a turban. These are all different. Companies are not even used to it. Right. Um, so they're not getting used to all this. And so if, if I look different today and tomorrow I'd look different in a conference call, why should that even matter as long as the delivery happens? So my point was this. I always say this. If you want to change the company, start with the community. Because if your employee is working or if they, they are from a very conservative background and they don't, and they're very transphobic and um, homophobic, they cannot go into a company and have a trans person as their peer working with them. They will still have this work-based bias. This inherent bias will still be there. You can't change that. Right. So that is going to be a problem. So that is another thing which companies are have, need to navigate through because those inherent biases are going to be there. They have to change that. But I think um, we are in a point where there is going to be a dis- disruption within the, um, the, within the workplace. People are going to look at things differently. Um, and I hope that would change a lot more and bring more, um, I would say, a good environment for the trans and gender non-consuming community. Yeah. No, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think, Celia, you make some really, really valid and great points here. One thing I want to tell you is you've had so much courage, so much courage to really talk about your own personal journey and how you've navigated your life and how you've maintained being a spouse, a dad, a professional. And so here you are and you're attending to all these different names. These things are attached to you. I'm a husband. I'm transgender. I am a dad. I am. And that is a lot. So personally, you have a lot to juggle there. And then you go out into the world and then you're, you're trying to say, hey, this is who I am. Can you accept this? Because here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Every corporation, every company, every nonprofit, even for me, this straight woman, I go into these companies and I have to understand what their values are. Every company has them. Every nonprofit mm-hmm. has a set of values. And values are different than beliefs. And then you go in and you go, okay, but yet what are your beliefs? And to really disrupt that, as you say, disrupt that and open, start opening the conversation about, and positive disruption, opening that conversation about what it means to be accepting and understanding conscious and unconscious bias. You've opened Mm. up now those conversations and that's a good beginning. So bravo to you. you. Bravo. Thank you so much. much. Appreciate it. You're absolutely welcome. And I think this is a kind of tough because we like, as humans, we like to box people into, okay, you're this and you're this and you're this Mm -hmm. and you're this. And so 
when it comes to something we don't have an understanding about, I think it just takes one, an understanding that we know who we are, and then how do we go out and explain this where we get an understanding to a certain degree of, okay, they understand it. Because each of us will go into a company or a, to a, a, let's say, a business that we want to work for, and we're not always going to be understood. Even if I lived with my own self, sometimes I wouldn't understand that other person that I'm living with, even if we're exactly the same. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Right? So you're not always, we're going to strive for 100%, but we may not get 100%. But what I do like is that you're opening those conversations and we're really trying to break down those, both those conscious and unconscious bias. So thank you for that and bravo to you. And thank you so much for talking about your journey. I do want to ask a couple more questions. So did you ever, did you ever disclose to your parents? And, and if so, how are they impacted and how do they feel? I didn't get a chance to talk to my mom because um, I first thing is I didn't know what was going on with me. And um, so I couldn't explain to them what was going on because they would think that, hey, you just need to stop it. And it's like an addiction. That's what it was called. Uh I was worried about it and I didn't want to tell them. But then I really knew everything about it. And I want to tell my mom and talk to her. She was diagnosed with cancer. And I did not have the opportunity. I didn't want to bring it up. And she passed away and then I wanted to talk to my dad and my dad was struggling without my mom. It was really hard. And at that point, I didn't see my problem being a topic of discussion. Um, and I knew that my parents are always, um, I learned a lot from my parents. I didn't have to tell them, but I learned because they were always for the community. They were helping the community with all the medical help they needed. They had medical camps back in India, in the rural parts of India. And I learned being selfless and being for the community. I learned it from them, my parents, my mom and dad. And they did it together. So I didn't get a chance to tell them, but I told my brother recently and he was very accepting and he said, you know, I'm so proud of you. So yeah, that's how it it, it went. But I wish I had the opportunity to tell my parents, but unfortunately, no. Right. Well, you know, based on the opportunity you had, you made the decision that was right for you at the time, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. again, thank you for talking about your journey and thank you for disclosing and being so open with, with all the listeners here today. Now, my last question Mm -hmm. is, and I ask every, you know, every guest that I have, but my last question is what words of wisdom, and you've given so much already, but what words of wisdom can you leave the listeners with today? Yeah, absolutely. I have this um, word, and it's a it's a one word. It's called ally. A l l y. So I'd like to break down this into four parts. Okay. Ally being A for advocacy. You know, be an advocate for the transgender and gender non-conforming community. Love them, and listen to them, and always. Earning to help them is important. So why is earning to help them? So it's ally, it's advocate, love, listen, and earning to help them, which is uh, from the heart, not from your head. So that's why I would love to tell the, the, the listeners and the audience of this podcast that be an ally for the community. And it's not just from your head, but from your heart. And that's why... I call it as advocate, laugh, listen, and yearning to help them. I love that. That is so beautiful. 
Thank you so much, Celia, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thanks so much, Summer. Thank you for having me. And I would love to always answer any questions and people can get in touch with me. Yeah. Um, so I'm very open about my life and I hope it helps and it's always motivating and healing to some of the folks who are not just uh, transgender, but who are going through a lot of struggles in their lives. Well, thank you so much. You certainly are inspiring to me. Thank you for telling your story, for sharing your journey, and for being on the Core Women podcast with me today. If you'd like to know more about Celia Daniels, you can find her on Instagram at Celia Daniels and on Facebook at Celia S. Daniels. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women, and please stay tuned for continued growth of the Core Women movement. Let's grow and drive change together.